Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Who's had a good week? Hands up. Who's had a good week? Who's had not so good week? That's a tough question to ask, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if my hand up for that. Uh, I had an interesting Wednesday this week. I didn't have a very good day at work. I'm a high school chaplain. It was a very frustrating day. It was also Valentine's Day as well, in case you forgot. Uh, I didn't forget. Uh, Jane and I don't really do Valentine's Day as such. I, uh, I bought her chocolate on special. Because... Um, <laughs> Yes, because we have a budget, people. And, uh, you know, Cadbury can, maybe you can buy Cadbury blocks that have the little gap and you can write things on them. That's what I did. I brought a bottle of and said, to my Valentine and put it on the dining table. That was my Valentine's gift. But um, I went to school and had a, I don't know, a difficult day. There were some students, I work in a high school, and some of the students were being difficult. And so at the end of the day, I was pretty drained, pretty frustrated, had my day gone. And I got home, and uh, my wife had bought me this bouquet of chocolate flowers. You know, you can buy flowers, but they're like little Ferrero Rochers on top. And um, she wasn't home. She was taking Charlie to the gym. But uh, I got home and it was just, yeah, sometimes a little gesture at the end of the day can make all the difference, yeah? Just to know people are thinking of you. That's kind of what church is like. At the end of a busy week, a difficult week, church can kind of be that time where we come and remember that God has been thinking about you. Even if you don't recognize that. God loves you, even when we don't feel him close to us. And so this morning we're going to be talking about how God wants you to know him more. And uh, we have been talking uh, through our series called Jesus Said, looking at the things that Jesus said. And uh, last week, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Jim talked, spoke about uh, how Jesus said, follow me. And last week, Pastor Pavey talked from Matthew 9, 4 to 5, where Jesus had authority. So I'm going to do a natural progression from there, because I'm also going to speak from Matthew 9, and it happens just after Jesus says to Matthew, the tax collector, follow me. So we're going to be reading from Matthew 9, verse 10. It'll be on the board, or oh, the Bible's in front. I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, digital or otherwise. Matthew, 10, Matthew 9, verse 10 says this. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Love the Pharisees, they don't muck around, do they? Gives you a complete insight into how they felt about what Jesus was doing. But we'll get to that soon. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call those who think, not to call those who think they're righteous, but to those who know they are sinners. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning that you would speak to us. We ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us through your word this morning that it may challenge us more and more to get to know you better, to glorify your name with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's make things clear. Jesus has wandered into town, and Matthew is at his tax collector booth, collecting taxes from people, and Jesus goes up to him and says, follow me. From there, Matthew invites Jesus back to his house to have dinner. 
And so they all go back to Matthew's house, and Jesus sits down with his disciples, with Matthew and all the other scum, and they have dinner together. That's what's happening here. Matthew, if you hadn't noticed, was not a particularly popular person. He's a tax collector, and no one likes tax collectors. He was seen as a traitor, because Matthew was a Jew. He was a Jew, but he chose, who worked for the Jewish guys, for the Roman government. Okay? He was collecting taxes on their behalf from his own people. So the people saw him as a traitor. He's, he's extorting his own people for their oppressors, the Roman Empire. And on top of that, all tax collectors would skim some off the top for themselves so they could make a living. So he's extorting his own people and no one likes him. And so Jesus enters, he goes to Matthew, he says, follow me. Matthew's like, okay, leaves his tax collector booth, leaves his job and follows Jesus. And then they sit down and have dinner together. Now, according to the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the time, this is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. For them, entering the house of someone who is scum, as they call it, or unclean or unacceptable, it makes you unclean. It makes you unacceptable. To sit and have a meal with somebody, to sit at their table means that you associate with them. You're making a public declaration. You're associating with these people that you're eating with. And this is what caused outrage from the Pharisees. Outrage. And so they asked the disciples. They don't ask Jesus. They asked the disciples, why is he eating with these scum, these disreputable people? And who responds? Jesus responds. Jesus responds, even though he wasn't asked the question. They asked the disciples the question. Jesus answers. And he says, it's the sick who need a doctor, not those who are healthy. And he quotes a passage from Hosea, a particular favourite of Jesus, because he uses it again in Matthew 12. So obviously he liked this verse. He says, I want to show you mercy, not offer sacrifices. That's his quote. He chooses a scripture that the Pharisees should know to intentionally teach them and challenge them from their point of view. He reveals to them truth, truth from God's word, that the Pharisees often portray themselves as knowing better than anyone else. We know all the Old Testament. We are pious. We live according to all of God's word. So Jesus chooses this verse. So what does it say? Jesus gives us a little snippet, but I want to read the context of that verse. So what does Hosea 6, verse 4 to 6 say? This is what it says. This is what Jesus is quoting. This is God speaking to the people through the prophet. He says, O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Ask the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I send my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgments as inescapable as light. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. So that's the verse that Jesus chooses to quote to the Pharisees. Of all the Old Testament verses, he chooses that one. Because he wants to bring a point. He wants to teach them. It's intentional. It's not accidental. He didn't randomly choose a verse. He wants to confront the Pharisees and their worldview. He wants to speak into the situation and bring understanding of who God is, what God has been doing. So what are we going to do? We're going to go and learn. Because Jesus said, go and learn what this verse means. So we're going to go and learn. Okay. So the first thing I want to bring up this morning from Hosea, the, the, the quote that Jesus said is, one, we need to learn the word. We need to learn the word. Our first point is not so much what Jesus said, it's where Jesus went. 
And where did Jesus go? He went to the Bible. It's a public gathering. They're, they're having dinner. The Pharisees are there. Everyone's sort of looking on. And the Pharisees confront the disciples. Why is Jesus eating with this scum? Why? And so Jesus, he doesn't engage them in an argument. He doesn't try to be witty. He doesn't try to sound clever. He simply refers to the word. He goes straight to the Bible. And it's clever. It's clever because the Pharisees prided themselves on knowing the Bible, didn't they? They prided themselves on knowing and living out every single word of it. It was their source of power. This, this, this apparent greater knowledge of God's word was the Pharisees' source of power and control over the people. Because the people did not have access to the word. They couldn't go on their phones and download a Bible app. They couldn't go to Kurong and buy a Bible from a shop. It didn't exist. The people had no access to the word themselves. Only the Pharisees did. Only the people in the temple had access to the word. So the, the Pharisees could control the knowledge. They could control the word because the people didn't know any better. So how does Jesus respond to them? He uses the word. He uses the Bible. He quotes scripture. He uses what they misuse in order to challenge them. Not only that, he says to them, to these learned scholars, he says to them, go and learn what this means. It's a little bit condescending. These people thought they knew, they knew it all. They studied the scriptures their entire life. And Jesus says to them, go and learn what this means because you obviously don't have a clue. Okay? Jesus is he's challenging them. He's confronting them. Often rabbis of the time would use a teaching tool for their followers and they would say, go and learn. Go and learn for yourself. It's self-education. Take this information and go away and study it. Meditate on it. Pray about it. Learn what this verse means. That's what they would do. And so what's what Jesus does? He's trying to school the Pharisees. Because Jesus was a rabbi, recognized. They used to call him teacher. And he uses the same tool. He says to the Pharisees, go and learn. Go and learn what this means. That was Jesus' go-to move. He always went to the Bible. He went to Scripture. He did this earlier in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. This is what Jesus said. He says, but Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Who is Jesus talking to here? Who is Jesus talking to? Satan. He's talking to the devil. So Jesus was in the desert. Forty days he has not eaten or drunk anything. So he's probably hungry. And the, the devil comes to Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to turn into bread. Command them to turn into bread. If you're the Son of God. And what does Jesus say? No. The scriptures say this. Man does not live by bread alone. What does Jesus go to? The scriptures, the Bible. That he doesn't engage in argument with the devil. He doesn't try to sound witty or clever. He simply refers the devil to God's word. That's how he responds. That's how he retorts. It's easy, I think, maybe to forego reading our Bible. Life is pretty busy, yeah? Life is pretty busy. I don't know if life is busier than it was before. I don't know if that's true. We just find different things to be busy about, I think. And some things we do is we don't read our Bible. But the thing is, 
it is actually easier to read your Bible now than it ever has been before. My Bible is on this device in front of me. Like, I, can, I have an app that I can read. I don't even need to read. I can get the app to read the Bible to me and save my eyes. I could just put it on in the car and the Bible could just be read to me wherever I go. It's never been easier to read the Word of God. Yet, yet for some reason, it's probably the biggest thing that Christians face, have trouble with, is reading their Word. That and praying. The two major things that we should do as Christians, read our Word and pray, the two things we have trouble with, because life is busy. However you need to, get the Word into you. Whatever works for you, get it into you. If you like reading a physical Bible with paper, great. If digital is fine, if you want people to read it to you, fine. Whatever, you need to get it into you. Jesus understood the power of Scripture. Jesus understood the power of the Word. It was his weapon against those who came against him. And I think, just maybe, we need the Bible a little more than Jesus did. Just possibly. Maybe. We need to do this. When it comes to the Word, we need to read it, we need to understand it, so we can know it. We need to read the Bible. We need to understand what it says. And once you have those two things, you will know it. It will be part of you. It's okay if you don't understand all the Bible. That's cool. Okay? Some of the parts of the Bible are really confusing. Yes? Some of the parts of the Bible are really challenging. I spoke recently at Men's Breakfast about difficult passages of Scripture. I chose three difficult passages because, let's be honest, there's some challenging verses in the Bible. They're the verses that people will pluck out of the Bible and they will say, I can't believe you believe in a God that says this because they've chosen a Scripture, a verse out of context. What's the different reasons why people misuse Scripture? There are challenging things in the Bible. There really are. But we're not meant to shrink away from them. We're not meant to go, oh, we'll just forget about that one and put it over here and focus on Jonathan 3.16. It's great. Because God said, love the world. That's a nice one. Okay, we're not meant to shrink away from the difficult parts. We're meant to wrestle with them. We're meant to engage with them. If you don't understand what it means, then you're meant to find out what it means. Read a commentary. Ask a pastor. Find a YouTube sermon on it. I don't know. Be careful. Some people out there are a bit strange, but... I suggest Riverside Church Choma, a YouTube channel. It's really good. Okay. Where does that verse fit in the arc of the history of God's people? Engage with the Word, and it will change your life. Because once we understand it, it becomes part of us, and we know it. Like the biblical sense of know, like Adam knew Eve, we know. It's an intimate knowledge of the Word. We have to remember that the Bible is 66 different books written by different authors, in different genres, for different reasons. But it's one story. It's one story. It is the unfolding revelation of God's love for His people. That is what the Bible is. The unfolding revelation of God's love for His people. Because God never changed, our understanding of God changed. He has still been the same the whole time, and will always be the same. Yet how we Interact with God changed based on our understanding of him. I love the other day. The other day, Jim posted uh, the reading, and it was Leviticus. Oh, Leviticus. Everyone's go-to book of the Bible, isn't it? Everyone loves Leviticus, don't they? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's read Numbers. That's fun. Okay. Okay. Leviticus is it's an important book. Leviticus is really important once you understand what it's about. And Tash posted. And Tash posted. And she said, I love reading about all the different kinds of offerings. And what was her takeaway? She posted it. She says she's so grateful for Jesus and his sacrifice because it made it way simpler. It made it way easier. Didn't it, Tash? That's right. That was her takeaway. That's awesome. Because that's engaging with Scripture. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to read it, understand it, and know what it means. So we know God better because of it. That's engaging with God's Word. That's what we should be doing. That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what he wanted the Pharisees to do. Go and learn because you don't get it. You're misusing God's Word. So we need to learn the Word. Secondly, we need to love the Lord. And this is gold, right? Read the Bible, love God. This is awesome, okay? So we came to church for. This is awesome. This is where we get into why Jesus chose Hosea 6. Because it was intentional. He meant to do it. Now, at first glance, if you read Hosea 6, uh, if you look it up and read it from verse 1, it sounds okay. It sounds genuine. The people are repenting, okay? To step in the right direction. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read it for you. Just because, you know, it sounds okay. This is Hosea 6, 1, before we move on. It says, this is the people speaking. It says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, now he will heal us. He has injured us, now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we may know the Lord, let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. That sounds good, right? That sounds genuine. Sounds repentant. Now let us read Hosea 7. This is God's response to that from the people. Okay, just imagine, it sounded good. This is God's response. Okay, Hosea 7.14. They did not cry out with me with sincere hearts. Instead, they sit on their couches and wail. They cut themselves, begging foreign gods for grain and new wine, and they turn away from me. Isn't it good to have both sides of a story before you choose a side? Isn't it good to know both sides before you jump into a situation? The people sounded repentant, but God is not fooled. He's not fooled. They said the right words, but their hearts were nowhere near God. They were using the right language, but their hearts were far. You see, they wanted God to fix the situation, but they weren't interested in fixing themselves. That was the problem. Warren Wearsby, he says it like this. He says, The people saw the nation in difficulty, and they wanted God to make things right. But they did not come with broken hearts or surrender their wills to God. That's the issue. They wanted God to be the magic genie who fixed everything. But they had no intention of changing who they were. You see, they were sitting on the couches and crying about stuff, not doing anything. It says they were cutting themselves. That means they were worshipping another God because that's how you worshipped gods back then. You would cut yourself. Okay? They were begging other gods for new wine. They wanted the circumstances to change, but they didn't want to change their character. They wanted to be happy, but weren't willing to be holy. Does that make sense? Have you ever seen The Mummy with Brendan Fraser? Hands up, you've seen The Mummy. Okay, great movie. Okay, there's a scene, there's a guy called Benny in the movie. You know, Benny, the little weaselly guy who betrayed, yep, okay, yep. Okay, there's a scene where the mummy come back to life. 
and the mummy is encroaching on Benny, and Benny is shrinking against the wall. And you know what he does? He pulls out his little necklace. And on the necklace is basically the symbol of every major religion on the earth at the time. So he pulls out his little Buddha and starts chanting Buddhist phrases, hoping to appease the mummy. And that doesn't work, so he pulls out his little Hindu symbol and starts doing a little Hindu prayer. That doesn't work. And eventually he gets to the Star of David, the, the Jewish one, and he speaks Hebrew. And he's saved because, obviously, the Egyptian mummy recognises the language of Egyptian, uh, Israelite slaves. So he is saved. But Benny didn't believe in Yahweh or God any more than he believed in any other gods. He was just hedging his bets. One of these will work, surely. If I say enough, someone will work. That's what God's people were doing. They were hedging their bets. They were saying, God will come and heal us, but at the same time, we're praying to all these other gods at the same time. They weren't willing to become holy. They just wanted to be happy. They wanted God to change their circumstance without having them to do anything. You see, Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees was then to put God first and not ritual. To put relationship first, not ritualistic practices. You see, the Pharisees used the right words. They clung to the traditions, the rituals, but there was no heart change. They weren't willing to make themselves holy before God. When Jesus says, I want you to show mercy, not for sacrifices, what is he saying? Is he saying he's getting rid of sacrifices altogether? No, not yet. That will come, but not yet. He's not trying to abolish the sacrificial system yet. God established the sacrificial system. That was God's thing. He established it for his people because they struggled to do anything right. So he gave them a way to do it. It will be replaced. It will be upgraded soon through Jesus, but not yet. But the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, had turned that system into something else. They had made it unattainable for certain sections of society. Those people they called scum. For Matthew, who's a tax collector, he's also a Jew. And he's bound, therefore, by that system of sacrifices to atone for his sin. But where do you offer the sacrifice to make yourselves right with God? Where do you go? The temple. Who's not allowed in the temple? Tax collectors, scum, Matthew. So what does he do? He's stuck. Matthew can't make atonement for his sin because he's not allowed to the place where you make atonement for your sin. He's banned. Enter Jesus. He eats with tax collectors and the other scum. And then he says what to the Pharisees? Go and learn what this means. Show me what mercy looks like. Don't show me your sacrifices. Why? Because sacrifices aren't important anymore? No, that's not the reason but because their sacrifices were the same as their words. They were empty. They were without sincerity. It didn't mean anything to them. They just did them because that's what they've always done. They were appeasing the rules, not loving God. They were following their own man-made rules. There was actually no law in God's word that forbade Jesus from eating with Matthew. It doesn't exist. There's nothing wrong with Matthew inviting Jesus to his house, and Jesus sitting down eating with him. That was a pharisaical rule. That was a rule they made. Jesus never broke the law, ever. He couldn't have, because he was sinless. Jesus never broke the law. He came to fulfill the law. 
Jesus broke a rule made up by men, trying to make themselves look more holy to other people, when in reality they couldn't have been further from God. Love the Lord. Not just by saying the right words, doing the right things, conforming to some acceptable standard of Christianity that the society accepts today, but by genuinely loving Jesus. You see, loving Jesus means loving like Jesus. When Jesus says, show mercy, don't show me your sacrifices, he's saying, I want you to love people like I love people. Sit down with the scum. Invite them in. It means demonstrating the love that we have experienced from God to other people. This is what was so radical about Jesus. He wasn't about the rules for the sake of rules. He was about loving people. So they would understand how much God loves them. Jesus never, ever broke the law. The law was established in God's word, which Jesus never broke or disobeyed or ignored. He abided by it and used the law to show God's love. Remember the woman who was caught in adultery? Remember that story from the Bible? They drag her unceremoniously to Jesus and they say, this woman's an adulterer. And the law says we need to stone her to death, which is true. That's what the law did say. What does Jesus do? Does he stone her to death then? They thought they had Jesus trapped. Because if he says, don't stone her, he's breaking the law. But if he does stone her, he's not Jesus, is he? He's not loving. So what does Jesus do? Jesus is clever. He uses the word of God. He says, okay, fine. Yes, she needs to be stoned. So the first person here who is without sin, you throw the first stone. He puts it back on them. He doesn't negate the law. He challenges them. Okay, if you want to stone her, that's fine. The first person here in this crowd who is without sin, you can start. And do they? No. Why? You ever ask yourself why they don't stone her? But the Pharisees really, they could have, they could have said, I just you know, gave my you know, offering at the temple today, so I'm clean, right? I can stone her. There's another law, a law that says a crime without more than two witnesses cannot be verified. They couldn't stone her because they couldn't prove that she was an adulterer. There wasn't more than two witnesses to the actual act itself. Jesus knew this. They knew this. He put it back on them knowing that they couldn't throw the first stone because the law forbid them to do so. It was only her and the man in the room. That's only one witness. You need two or more, more than two. Jesus knew the law and he used it to show her love so she could be free. That's what Jesus did. He didn't break the law, he used the law. He came to fulfill it so that we would understand God's love. You see, here's the thing. God wants your heart before your hands. God wants what's in here before he wants what you can do with this. That's God's starting point. There are things that we can do because we love God, of course. There are behaviours that someone who follows God will do and behaviours that we will not do. And those behaviours do set us apart from the world. But God doesn't expect you to have all those things going on in your life before he'll accept you. No, 
God will take you as you are. He will meet you where God has always met us where we are. And he'll take you somewhere better. He wants this first before he's interested in you using these for him. He wants you to get your heart right with him first. He wants your heart before he wants your hands. He wants genuine faith, genuine belief, sincere faith before any of the other stuff. We all have a purpose in God. We all have things that we need to do that God has set apart for us. But it all starts where? Here. It starts with faith. It starts with belief. A faith that God loves you, he has called you, and he's called you to love others. So let us love God sincerely, genuinely. So let's know the word, let's love God, and lastly, we need to let Jesus lead. We need to let Jesus lead. It sounds nice, right? Okay. Having complete faith in God, possessing that genuine belief that God is always on your side, but sometimes that's really hard to live out, isn't it? Let's be honest. Sometimes that's difficult. Loving like Jesus sounds awesome. But man, people are tough to love, aren't they? Let's be honest. Don't look at someone in the room next to you, okay? Jim, don't look at... Oh, my goodness. Okay. Sometimes people are really tough to love. As a chaplain, I'm called to love the students at my school, but oh, my goodness. Sometimes they're really frustrating, like last week. They're super frustrating. Okay? What did Jesus say? Jesus says this, Matthew 9, remember we read it before, it says, For I have come to call those, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. We've got to ask ourselves two questions. What do I think and what do I know? What do I think and what do I know? You see, the Pharisees thought they were righteous. They thought they had it all together. And so Jesus says plainly, I didn't come for them. I didn't come for them because they think they're all good. I can't help somebody who doesn't want my help. I can't help somebody who thinks they don't need any help. That's correct. Until someone is willing to accept help, we cannot help them. We can encourage them, we can try, but we can't genuinely help somebody until they're willing to be helped. The Pharisees, they were waiting. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the anointed one to come. They had, the Jews had long awaited for the Messiah. And what would he do? He would come and he would save them. And he would save them from what? Political oppression. That's what they wanted. They wanted to be free from political oppression. They wanted a change in their circumstance, not in their character. They wanted to be happy, but not holy. Where have we seen that before? It's the same thing the people that Hosea spoke to. They hadn't changed. So the question is, what do we think? What do you think? Do you think that if you follow all the rules, God will give you what you want? Do you think if you give enough, you will get enough? Do you think if I appease God, then he will bless me? Do you fall into the, the trap of modern-day Phariseeism? As Christians, I certainly hope we don't. But we're only human. You all make mistakes. We all can fall into the trap of thinking if we come to church often enough, God will love me more. If I give more, God will love me more. Or, instead of what we think, do we stand firm on what we know? 
who we stand firm on the things that we know to be true, that God is and has always been about relationship and never ritual. That if we invest in our relationship with God, we will grow with Him by knowing His Word, by loving like Jesus. And if we do those things, the things that we want will become into alignment with the things that God wants. And we want the same thing. That we don't give to get, we give because we have received. We give back to Him who has given us everything that we have. That we do not strive to appease God, but we know that He has given us everything we need. We're already blessed. God is not to be appeased. God is to be praised. We don't need to appease God. We need to praise God. God is not angry with you. That could be a revelation for some of you. God is not mad at you. Jesus has already dealt with everything. He has dealt with our sin. You don't need to appease his anger. You need to praise him because of his love. We see that the word of God is his unfolding revelation of love. So we need to go and learn. And the first step to doing all of this is simple. We need to humble ourselves. You see, humility enables a heart change. It's humility that enables us to change our heart. All those times that people wanted the circumstances to change and not themselves, it all begins with humility. We need to humble ourselves. We have to let Jesus lead. We've got to put him in charge. You remember David, right? King David, you've heard of him before? King David was the one who was after the man after God's own heart. Remember? God said about David, he will do everything that I want. That's what he said. Then what did David do? He stole another man's wife. He had that man killed in battle so he could cover up his sin. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so what happened? So Nathan, Nathan the prophet came along and he told David a story. And in that story, he made one man the victim, one man the villain. And by the end of the story, David was under no illusions that he was the villain in this story. So David had a choice. As king, he could be like, ah, oh, be gone with you, Nathan. But no, he didn't do that. What did, Nathan, what did David do? He humbled himself before God. He embraced humility. And because he embraced humility, he was able to have another son with Bathsheba, who was Solomon, who gave birth to Rehoboam, who eventually, down the line, we have Jesus. David was able to become part of the lineage of Jesus because he humbled himself. Because he let God lead. Humility is the first step. We need to humble ourselves. The best way we can do that, it's an oldie but a goodie. When I first became a Christian, people would wear these little things on their wrists. Okay, and it had four letters on it. Who remembers what those four letters are? WWJD. WWJD. What would Jesus do? It's an oldie but a goodie. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus ask? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. 
in all that we do, we need to put him first. How do we do that? You should imagine to yourself, if you want to take the what would Jesus do a step further, ask yourself, what would Jesus say to you before you did something? Before you speak in that conversation, before you send that email, before you post that thing, before you respond to that post that someone else posted, before you send that emoji, before you make that phone call, ask yourself the question, what would Jesus say to me right now? If we do that, we're letting him lead, humbling ourselves before we do something stupid. Okay? Then maybe what you're going to do is fine. And that's cool. But sometimes, don't you wish that you had asked Jesus first before you did something? Has everyone got an example in their life where they just wished they'd asked Jesus first? Anyone? It's just me. Awesome. Just me. Okay. We all have something in our life where we've done something, said something that we shouldn't have. And if only we had asked Jesus, Jesus, what would you say to me before I do this? That's how we let him lead. That's how we humble ourselves. We need to consider Jesus so that we become less like the Pharisees, thinking that we are all good and more like Matthew, who knew that he was a sinner. Matthew knew that he needed Jesus. He was under no illusions. He knew that he needed Jesus. We need to be more like Matthew and less like the Pharisees. See, Jesus said to the Pharisees, I want you to go and learn. You need to go away. You think you know everything. You need to go away and learn. I don't think Jesus would say that to us this morning. I think Jesus would say, come and learn. Come and learn. I want to draw you closer to me so I can teach you. Because I think everyone here recognizes that they need God. And they need Jesus in some shape or form. That we need to go closer with God. Not thinking we've got it all figured out. Jesus says, come and learn. I invite the musicians up if they would come now. Thank you. This morning we have options. We need to ask ourselves, what do I know to be true? I know that God loves me. I know he's saying, son, Jesus, to die for me. I know God wants to be closer to me and me closer to him. I know God wants a relationship with me. And some of the things I do in my life make that really difficult. And God is saying, come and learn. Come and learn. If you stand this morning. I know what you brought into church with you this week. I know if you had a good week, a great week, a terrible week. A confusing week. Maybe there's something went on this week and you wish you'd said, Jesus, what do I say? What do you have to say to me? Maybe you wish you'd said that first. Or maybe something's coming up and you're not sure what to do and you need to say, Jesus, do you have anything to say to me? Holy Spirit, come and speak to me. Give me guidance before I make a decision. I don't know where you're at. But what I do know this morning is that God wants a relationship with you. He wants to direct you. He wants to guide your steps. He wants you to be closer with him. And he hasn't moved. He hasn't changed. It is us who need to move. It is us who need to change. We're the ones who need to say, I want...
to become a better person. I want to, to change my heart before you change my circumstances. I want to become more holy so that I can be happier. So every eye closed, every head bowed. The two groups of people I want to speak to this morning. The first one, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. I hope you've heard this morning that God loves you. That God wants to be in a relationship with you. That he made you, he created you. He has set a path before you to take if you would make that choice. That's you this morning. All you need to do is ask Jesus to become Lord of your life. All you need to say is, Jesus, I surrender to you. I humble myself to you. Become Lord of my life. And I choose to follow you the rest of my days. Simple as that. That's all we need to do. While every head is closed, every head is, eyes closed, every head is bowed. No one's looking around. If that's you, you can raise your hand this morning. You want to declare that you're going to follow Jesus this morning. This is why we do church. To introduce people to Jesus. To go closer with him. Maybe you're online this morning, watching. If that's you this morning, I ask that you reach out to us. We want to journey with you. The second group this morning is everybody else. Everybody who is good with Jesus. But maybe, just maybe. Maybe Jesus is saying, come and learn. Come and learn. May the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, come and learn. Maybe a decision you have to make coming up is difficult. Or maybe something has gone on this week that has been difficult and challenging. Jesus says, come and learn. Come and learn how much I love you. I want you to take that from you. I want to help you through that. Maybe it's a relationship in your life that's not going as well as it should. Maybe it's a health concern. Whatever it is, you have to know this morning that Jesus is saying, come. I am here with you. I love you. God has not moved. He's been here the whole time. I'm here the whole time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.